0: Hi, and welcome to Finance Matters, a podcast brought to you by UVA Finance, UVA's trusted financial partner. Finance Matters is a podcast series where we bring you bite-sized thoughts, stories, and inspiration in the hopes they'll be useful to you on this road we're all on to do our best and be our best in the realm of financial matters here at UVA. I'm your host, Brandy Van Ormer. I'm here in CoLab3 with my co-host, Patty Marbury of Finance Outreach and Compliance. Hello. And we have a remote guest today. On the conference line, all the way from Atlanta, Georgia, is Jessica Rafter. Hey, Jessica. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for calling in today. Um, Jessica is the community manager for UBI, or University Business Intelligence. Um, for those of you who maybe aren't big UBI users, or shame on you, you don't use the UBI community. What does that even mean, Jessica? What do you do?
1: So communities are increasingly becoming a way that organizations or individuals work with and manage large groups of people for a variety of tasks. In terms of the UBI community, the community is a digital place and the primary place where our team interacts with individuals and individuals that interact with individuals. That in a practical way, we we answer questions, we link all our training materials, we cultivate ideas, we have some conversations, we get feedback from users, and just generally keep them updated on a two-way street with UBI.
0: So it's kind of like an awesome work-related, non- annoying social media network.
1: (laughs) Right. We hope it's not annoying, but certainly, you know, the value you get in is the value you'll get out. So it's an ever evolving thing. So Jessica's
0: here with us today. And um, again, we joked last time we had a, a guest on, Kelly Hostetler, who talked about the power of the introverted manager. We talked about how she had fallen victim to giving us a good idea and then we made her be a guest and Jessica is in that same boat. Jessica suggested a really great topic and so we asked her to come on and talk about it today and the cool thing about this what we're our conversation is going to center around today is that it's something really really common that I think plagues a lot of us at work but that we don't we haven't really heard much about, mm-hmm. and the topic is called collaboration fatigue. You may hear it referred to as collaboration burnout. But Jessica suggested this, and I, if you don't mind, just tell them how you got the audience, how you got interested in this topic.
1: So obviously, because my job is community, a large interest of mine is knowledge management and working with people. From a personal perspective on working on a large project in the area that I do, my life is 100% collaboration. I'm always having to pull on somebody or tap somebody to get something Or conversely, I'm very alone, right? So I have to understand the balance between when to collaborate and when to not. And even though I'm really far away, I find myself sometimes getting a little, little overwhelmed with the amount of things I owe people or the amount of people that need my help, and I want to help everyone. And so I've just personally struggled and tried to acclimate to this collaboration expectation that we have at the university and in UVA finance. And... I went out there looking for ways to address that myself, and then from like an empathetic lens, I kind of thought, well, I'm asking people to take part in that collaborative framework. So how do I understand what they might be going through? How do I understand the expectations about people and their not willingness, but motivation, time, resources, they have to put into something like a community? And so I need to kind of think about that and address it from the back end, making things manageable, helping people understand, all that kind of
0: stuff. Yeah, and it's becoming a more and more a part of our lives, right? I mean, you you gave me a little bit of a, a hint into what to look at as we started this conversation. Um, some work from a former UVA faculty member named Rob Cross, and we'll link um, some of his information in the show notes because it's really interesting stuff. He's really doing a lot of research on this and publishing a lot of interesting thoughts on it. But um, from a Harvard Business Review article that he published back in 2016, um, the data says that the time spent by managers and employees in collaborative activities has ballooned over the past two decades by 50% or more. So, we live in an increasingly collaborative... Yeah, Two fifty 50%. Two, so, so yeah. people are... You said by 50%, so,
2: so it hasn't increased that much. It has increased to percent or more spent in time that you're spending on collaborative activities. So... You're spending all this time, and one of his statistics has 80% in many companies. Wow. And so you're spending all that time in meetings
0: and discussions with people. I'm sure nobody out there in the audience thinks that they go to too many meetings.
2: (laughs) Um, But then,
0: you know, you often hear people say, I
2: don't have time to do my work because I'm in meetings all day or, you know. Those kinds of comments that you hear
0: people say. At the same time, though, a lot of the same people keep getting involved in those collaborative activities. They're your go-to people, right? The old adage goes, if you want something done, ask a busy person. Right. Um, But I think we do tend to ask the same folks over and over again. Do you want to be on this committee? Do you want to help me with this? Do you want to... You know, be be a part of the advanced team in Jive to look at the community. That's my own thing. I was feeling guilty. (laughs) I was feeling guilty as we were talking about this um, pod today because I'm asking some folks to take an early look at the Jive community for all of finance itself, a collaborative community like Mm -hmm. Jessica's talking about. And the people that I thought of immediately were the same people that you pick yeah. over and over again.
2: And and it's funny that you mentioned that too, because in that article um that Rob Cross it's it's actually Rob Cross Reb Rebella, Rebella? Yeah, we'll link to and that article. Adam Grant wrote yeah. this article. And yeah, Brandy will provide a link to it. But they talk about the um most of the or not most of the collaboration, but twenty to thirty five percent of collaborative activities are done by two no three to five percent of the employees oh wow so <laughs> you know those people that you go to all the time are almost a third of the collaborative activities are done by those very few people
1: and I think it's important to take a step back from that and understand that collaborative activity kind of fall into three buckets they they fall into perfunctor what I would call Perfunctory functions of your job. I have a staff meeting I need to attend. Right. And you have activities outside of your normal job. I'm going to test the Jive community, for example. And then you have collaboration, which may be on the more innovation or exploration end of something. I'm going to explore a topic with people. And we do less and less of that. And another thing. Stemming from that is when you talk about this 3 to 5% of people, the article doesn't go, it goes into some of the internal motivators that make people fall into that 3 to 5% bucket. But it's important to know that there are other implications in terms of control structures that may also contribute to a small percentage of people collaborating.
0: So, talk about that a little bit more. Why? I mean, some people are predisposed to want to collaborate and to, you know, you have a personality type that's helpful or your your job means that you have a lot of the resources people are looking for. I think about that, you know, like if you happen to be a graphic designer, you're going to be pulled into a lot because you have a skill set, right? But what, what about those internal structures? Talk a little bit more about that.
1: Sure. So you just named some of the key internal motivators of an individual. But organization Culturally or from a process or a policy perspective influence some of the ability to collaborate or not. And if you have authority authoritarian or authoritative or High direct down organizations where a lot of the decision making and collaboration is in leadership alone And only leadership alone is allowed to make those decisions, Then you're going to get a small pool of people always doing a lot of that collaboration and so it takes leadership to support some of this organizational and behavioral change and to who, who is allowed to collaborate, who is allowed to say yes, who is allowed to say no, and the comfort level with having people at all levels collaborate at a level that they're comfortable with and maintaining kind of respect for each other in the job and role. and. You know, I highlight that because that is a culture that we're moving away from over the last five to ten years in the university. But there's still vestiges of it in our everyday lives here, I think.
0: Interesting. You know, you're talking about how we need to look at how collaboration happens within the organization and how we manage both ourselves and both organizationally the demands that are placed on those top collaborators. Um, what We talked a little bit before we started recording today about some of the, those responses that we need to have as we think about collaboration within our organizations, about things that you might expect personally, like managing your boundaries, folks learning to say no, some other folks learning to say yes. Would now be a good time to delve into that a little bit more, you think?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: So, First of all, you were already talking about behavioral change, so um, to redistribute the work a little bit, maybe uh, if you're in a management or supervisory or leadership role of some kind, showing the most active and maybe overburdened helpers how to prioritize requests and giving them permission to say no, to judge their own work capacity and say yes and no on, on things as they see fit.
1: Absolutely, and I think this takes a level of human understanding from a manager and a manager, right? You have to know each other and respect each other on a human level to kind of see the volume of work that you're doing, especially when a lot of it is off-book, so to speak. So you need to acknowledge the work that's being done off-book and support people in their decision to do it and encourage others that aren't doing it to, to say yes and it's not always those sound so easy when you break it down into a yes no but they're not they're complicated answers i'm a, i'm a yes person i love saying yes. i need help saying no and sometimes the no is no you you shouldn't do it because it's going to be overwhelming or no what is the focus of your job like i i continually have to have conversations with you know, my direct manager, but other leadership as well, about how to say, you
0: know, that's a really great point. And Patty, it makes me want to pull you in a little more directly on that because of your management coaching experience. It's really like you, like Jessica said, you'd have to have a really transparent relationship between you and your manager or you and your employees because you know what they need to priority, prioritize. And if they aren't letting you know all the ways that they're As you said Jessica going off book and helping with other things Mm -hmm. not only can you not help them prioritize but maybe like something larger would need to happen with job descriptions or something yeah
2: I mean there's 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 kind of two boats of people there are there's three there are people who get it right (laughs) about the the balance exactly right Um, but then there are those who say yes to everything and I've managed folks who say yes to everything at the expense of their own work um, and so or their own like
0: mental health even that. yeah yeah
2: um, yeah both um, I've also managed people who are reluctant to say yes to anything because maybe they're not confident they can do it they they think they're not the right person they just naturally maybe aren't, aren't the kind of people that jump on other responsibilities or you know collaboration kinds of opportunities or work and so um, so rarely as a manager do you have somebody who knows exactly when to say no and what to say no to. But one of the things that I would want to highlight, and we've talked a lot about s- strengths, right, is also recognizing the kinds of things that you want to say no to because you find them n- not your strength or not mm-hmm. your um, not enjoyable. Yeah, not right. a
0: thing. So I think about the podcast. Patty got in on the podcast because um, we jokingly were talking about, yeah, you want to be my co host? <laughs> and she said yes. And so we started doing it. But you had to have a conversation with your manager, who's also my manager. Which made it easy for her to say, yeah, sure. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah. <Ha-ha. laughs> um, but you had to have that conversation. Right. You know, does this fall in with what I need to be doing? And then I'm sure, I'm, well, I say I'm sure, but. Surely this was one of those no-brainers. Of course you're going to do a podcast with Brandy. But um, you had to do a little thinking, like, is this something that is a drain on me? Mm -hmm. Of course it's not.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she, she's looking at me to say, you, you can't see this, Jessica, because you're on the phone, but, and neither can the readers, because they're not in the room, but I mean readers, uh, listeners. So, but she's looking at me like, say yes, say, say yes. You say you love it. it. Say I'm say, kicking her under the say table. Say you didn't actually have to think about it. But, but that's a, a good example of something that is certainly a collaborative activity. It is something that um, she felt would be better with another person involved but it's something that I said yes to because it's something that gives me energy and doesn't exhaust me. Right. And so I'm not saying that people need to pick and choose the things they wanna work on collaboratively based on just those things they want to do. That's not what I'm saying at all. But sometimes there are things that you might say no to because they, they are just not the thing that actually helps you be better in your job. So you it's, don't really have the strength to do that.
1: Yeah, it comes down to being a compassionate human being to yourself and others. Right. right? You have to have an understanding. And it takes a little introspective work and it may take five minutes and it may take weeks about what do you want to do, what can you do. Um, that yes, sometimes is yes I want to do this because it'll be good for a career my career and it may move on I may move on to another job. Yes right. be I'm interested into it, in it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's not an easy thing to manage on that human level because it can be very vulnerable. But one of the ways I manage it for myself is I'm very transparent when I talk to people. Mm-hmm. And I talk to a wide range of people, not just my supervisor, about kind of my struggles or my thinking when it comes to any kind of collaborative effort that i may be involved in or any kind of struggle that i have and wanting to do something different you know that i always keep that as an open dialogue and make sure that my own thinking is transparent even if it's new like I, I almost never have anything figured out anyone that has talked to me knows i have a million ideas and i'm always shuffling through them and that's why i talk to people but Sometimes you have to keep that dialogue open so that you can manage those boundaries a little bit easier by
0: communicating what they might be. Mm-hmm. And you know, all this just seems so apropos for, like a, no matter if you're in a part of like finance transformation or if you're just at UVA and large or wherever you are, there's always, uh, your workplace is full of change and folks who collaborate a lot sometimes are the people who tend to be in the loop and get the opportunity to like shape things and see more where things are going so it I can see where it ups the pressure a little bit or ups the ante I guess at least to have like how you choose collaboration during a time of organizational change and I
1: think there's also a bucket of people that the reason, They are not high collaborators because they feel, or in actuality they do, core functionality or core activities in their job which don't leave them time to collaborate. Right. Um, And I think it's fine to have a conversation about, I understand that these are activities that need to get done, but I also want to do this other collaborative activity. Hi manager, can you help me work through a scenario where that might be true? Absolutely.
0: So we've talked about the behavioral change part, but um, what about an, another way that we redistribute the work is by using just our resources around us, like the technology and the physical space that we have to make it easier and more accessible to have the information and resources that you need. This is maybe one of the less... Um, Deep ways that this can happen, but when I when I was looking at this information, I was thinking on point two about using technology in physical space. In my role as a communicator, I can cut down on a lot of the requests that people have of me to collaborate by providing resources, those everyday kind of resources that they need in a way that they can access them without saying, hey, Brandy, could you put the logo on this? Not that I ever mind doing that, but that takes time from from them and time for me to work on that together when that's an easy fix that I can provide for them and kind of collaborate by not even being around, (laughs) you know, having to do that. Like, my collaborative act is just to provide it and put it out there.
1: Right, and I think the technology as a remote employee makes everything possible. It also conversely, and this is a challenge in the community, it creates another, for me, in my everyday job, I have four or five avenues of communication at every one, any one time. And I can feel the fatigue setting in. Like within an hour, I've jumped between five mediums at least twice, and it's too much to keep up with. And so I've had to also create those digital boundaries
0: This is interesting to think about because as our listeners may have heard and maybe read in the blog, soon, within the next month or so, we're going to open up a community in the Jive platform, as the folks who use UBI have had um, for a long time now, for all of Finance Across Grounds. And while that, that does two things, one is really great, which is it provides a space where there are social resources and actual resources in one easily accessible place. So it's easier to find answers. It's easy to, to get a few people together for a conversation. Um, it's easy to ask for help. Um, it's easy to put ideas out there and have people interact with your ideas. All that is great, but just like you were saying, Jessica, that'll be a new thing that then we all have to learn how to manage into the rest of our work lifestyle
1: yeah i think it's important to under to understand what that kind of fatigue and burnout feels like and i think sometimes it catches up to you and you're like oh great i haven't like gotten up from my desk in two hours because i've been going back and forth between the museum and you know, we've talked about boundaries as a way to manage collaboration fatigue. It's pretty much the way to manage collaboration fatigue, but as a support, like a pillar of support in in terms of managing the boundaries about expectations. So whenever you set up a new collaborative effort, whether it's an in-person effort or it's a digital effort, you have to set up expectations around participation in that. So it's a thing, with communities, they're groups of people, right? The expectation is that you're always gonna put in less than you get out because everyone's just putting a little bit in, but with a lot of people, that's a lot in, right? Right. So, we always told our users, you don't have to log in every day. It's great if you do, if that's the type of person you are, we want that level of engagement. But if you can, don't let it be so overwhelming that you never log in and never, Spend five minutes. It's okay to do a little. And um, you can do that with anything, right? A lot of times, so so in my life, I have email, I have community, I have Skype, I have multiple Microsoft Teams. And I found that, you know, a lot of times I have to turn off Skype or I have to just not check my email because I need one last avenue of input. And so I think that's important about manage- what are your own expectations about how you're going to manage something, and always clarifying
0: expectations about an activity as well. I love how right now it seems like every time we do a podcast, there's always something that refers back to a previous topic or something mm-hmm. else that we've discussed. I was thinking, Jessica, as I alluded to earlier in the conversation, we haven't even published this series yet about um, a series that we did with last week with uh, the faculty and employee assistance program and also one with David Germano over at the Center for Contemplative Studies and I will never get that right (laughs) and I can't say contemplative but anyway so um, they talked in all four of those podcasts about the plasticity of our minds and Mm -hmm. how your mind gets exhausted when you try to multitask that there is no such thing of, as multitasking, really. It's just your mind jumping back and forth from thing to thing to thing. Yeah. And it's exhausting and draining for mm-hmm. your mind and for you as a person. And you basically just reiterated that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it, feels, it, it can feel like you've just gone outside and run around the building five times this is what it feels <laughs> like. Because so yeah. your body has the same physiological response to that fatigue, mental fatigue, as it does to anything else. So. Mm-hmm. It's the tough thing, and it's a tough thing to manage when you want
2: to do it all um, as we were sitting here talking, I was thinking about um, as 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 a manager and and just thinking about kind of how the organization itself needs to do a better job of um, rewarding people who do to who do collaboration mm-hmm. well who handle it well right and so and and I didn't just, just think of this on my own. I, I was also looking at the article that we alluded to earlier, but um, just thinking about, well, if we're thinking about collaboration fatigue, then, and, and earlier we used that statistic of three to 5% of the people are doing thirty up to 35% of the collaborative activities, then that means Ninety-five percent of the people aren't right, and so if more p- people did participate in more collaborative activities, then that would take the burden off of others and would make the, you know, getting actually collaboration fatigue fatigue become less, right? Yeah, I and would. So it would alleviate that. Like spreading that. the opportunities. Yeah. for around and get around.
0: and you'd get different thoughts and. Yeah. We have plenty of
2: opportunities for people to collaborate on different projects Um, and so I think it's really important as managers and as leadership to look and see um, and reward people for doing that well. So reward people for collaborative activities and so that way the people that are not engaging as much will be rewarded when they do. So. I think that's something that we need to think about as a, as an organization. Absolutely. Yeah, and I
1: think, go ahead, really Jessica. Really people kind of identify those opportunities. It's like those opportunities for collaboration are not always highly visible to folks on the ground and it can be difficult to come with creative solutions for how that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, some people may be, they may not want to collaborate consistently that's too much, but it's still okay to say, hey, I've nominated you as a subject matter expert to occasionally consult to this group, you know, or add on your expertise and, and, you know, troubleshoot those opportunities with employees.
0: And without even introducing it, I feel like starting with Patty's comment about managers, we've addressed that third way that we can redistribute the work is for management to step in. and and make some structural changes, Mm -hmm. make some suggestions, move things around a little bit so that the collaborative lift is more evenly distributed. And and not only that, I don't want to make it sound like I'm just saying so that we alleviate the effort produced by that 5%, but also so that everyone else gets a, an opportunity to participate too because like like Patty mentioned they may not have done it because they just don't see themselves that way or they right. they haven't felt like they have the capacity to do it based on their workload. Yeah, well in so, the
2: article that we referred to um they talk about how we re- we reward people for hitting their numbers, right? Or for getting their work done and those kinds of things and you hit your goals and People that are collaborating a lot may not hit their goals because right. they're off doing, you know, work on projects with others. And, and the, the reward so, they
0: get is another project.
2: Right. <laughs> and so, but then, but yet yeah, then we re, we reward those people who are really focused on their individual contributions. And so um, I just think we need to think about it differently. I agree.
1: I've, I, mean, I can by example, too. I mean, there's setting the vision for an expectations of collaboration that's a really important leadership role um, but it's also using these strategies that we've talked about the entire podcast put a 10 minute meeting out on someone's calendar instead of a 30 minute meeting if that's all you need it's fine mm-hmm. um, you know nominate others it's, it's, a, it's a twofold thing and, and everyone I don't use leader lightly right like everyone's a leader at their own level absolutely these activities
0: yeah. Wow, this has been a really cool conversation, and I think it may be something we revisit in the future, um, especially as we go through transformation, and we all get involved in a lot of things that maybe are different than what we had been doing outside of our scope of normal work. Um, for now, Jessica, thank you for um, being a call-in guest to the pod today, I always say that calling like having just a call-in conversation, like an interview or something, is the most difficult kind of interview, because you don't have the visual. So thanks for being a trooper.
1: <laughs> yeah, thanks again for having me.
0: Um, as I said before, we'll have some information in the show notes today about Rob Cross's um, research and the article in the Harvard Business Review. And also, Jessica mentioned that he's great to follow on LinkedIn. He has some interesting thoughts. and. Um, just bite-sized stuff that you can take a look at. So we'll link to all of that below. And Jessica, thank you again. Patty, as always, thank you. Yep. And thanks to our audience for joining us for again for Finance Matters. You can always read more about what finance is up to on the blog at uvafinance.blogspot.com and later. Um, with proper boundaries, you can access <laughs> more information about finance on the Jive community. If you've got an idea for a podcast, um, please don't be afraid to submit it to either Patty or myself, or tweet us at UVA underscore finance. Just because we joke about making you become a guest on the blog doesn't or on the podcast, it doesn't mean we always do that. So don't be afraid. We'd love to have you as a guest too. So. Um, For now, that's all the time we have. Just keep doing good work because what you're doing matters.